you got a Bible to this morning, I almost said tonight. <laughs> so I know what happens when you get home a little late. <laughs> Second Timothy, chapter one. Second Timothy is an interesting book, and I'll tell you why. Like many of the books in the New Testament, it is originally a letter. You've got to imagine what it was like to first read this. Not, not, not saying I'm going to open my Bible and read a scripture, but open a letter and read it and know that God is speaking to you through a person by a letter. That's a, that's a cool thought. And this letter is interesting because not only is this letter inspired, written by the Holy Spirit through Paul, but it has a personal touch to it because this is Paul's last letter he'll ever write. This is it. He knows his time is near, and he's giving instruction to Timothy because we are not meant to just carry on the ministry that God has called us to, and then that's it. God has called us to pass it on. Pass it on. Replicate. Duplicate. What you've got in you, pass it to someone else. So Paul has raised up Timothy as an apostle, as a pastor. He's raised up Timothy as a son, and here's what he has to say to him. We're going to turn to 2 Timothy, and we're going to Go to chapter 1. In verse 6, Paul says to Timothy, he says, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So something was imparted from Paul to Timothy but it's not meant to just stay there or just sit there. It's meant to be kindled like you would a flame that's grown a little bit down, like a, like a fire that's gone a bit down to the coals. Kindle it, stir it up, blow on it if you have to, so that this becomes a flame again. And this is important to know because a lot of times people are in a, in a rut or they may be in a, in a tough place. You may feel spiritually stagnant and you wonder, is the gift of God in me? Have I received of the gift of God? Have I... Have I, have I truly received, when they laid their hands on me, did I get something? When I was listening to all those sermons, did I get something? Or have I just been here? And a lot of times it's not about whether you got it or not, because most of the time you got it. The issue is, is it just sitting there? Is it just stale? Is it a little bit still when it needs to be moving? And the answer is, you don't say, well, I guess I missed my opportunity there. I guess I missed it, and, and I, there's no hope now. I, I've let it die, and what do I do now? No, 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 no. Hope, hope is here, Paul said to Timothy, and I'm sure Timothy was still doing a good job. I'm sure he was still passionate for the Lord, but there's always more. Like we said earlier, there's always more. And he said, Timothy, I need to remind you to stir that back up again, to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. How do you kindle something up? You touch it, you poke it, you use it. You blow on it. I mean, he's probably going to kindle it afresh by praying in the Spirit. He's probably going to kindle it afresh by, by meditating on these things. He's going to probably kindle it afresh by you know, saying these things to himself, reminding him. But he's also going to kindle it afresh by using that gift. And he's just kindle it afresh, cause it to be aflame again. Now that came to you through the laying on of my hands. And he says this, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity. 
Now, you may have heard that growing up as a spirit of fear, and, and that's all right. Um, but this is not the word just that we would, in other places, translate fear. It's not the word phobos. It's not talking about just a fear. It's talking about a timidity, a, 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 a shyness, or maybe not maybe shyness isn't even the best word. It's, a, it's something that, that uh, you don't have the courage to go through with what you know you can do. You don't take the next step. You don't push forward. You shrink back. Timothy has a gift. He's meant to preach. He's meant to encourage. And guess what, guys? You know, he probably is doing part of that. But Paul has is, is instructed him that you're to do more than you think you are. You're a young man, Timothy, but you're going to have to minister to old people. Now, sometimes that's hard, and I know what it's like to have people that are twice your age that, that you've got to somehow minister to. And you know they've got life, more life experience than you. They've got, they've got uh, a, some more just, just straight, straight wisdom than you do at times. But if the grace of God is on you to do something, it doesn't matter what your natural qualifications are. You've got to walk by the Spirit. That's how a 12-year-old Jesus could sit in the temple and teach the rulers of the synagogue. It's how a man like David could outfight every soldier, kill Goliath, not because he was a better soldier, but because it was by the Spirit of God. Before I got married, this may be a shock, but before I got married in the church in Loon Lake, I did marriage counseling. And I had a couple people say, how can you do marriage counseling? You've never been married. Well, I had a good answer. At least I thought it was good. There are two teachers in the New Testament that teach us about marriage, primarily. Two big ones, the Apostle Paul and Jesus, both single guys. I'm in good company. What they said, they said by the Spirit of God. You say, well, I heard that Paul might have been married. He might have been widowed before he knew Jesus, even if that's true. Let me tell you, being married as a believer is way different than being married as an unbeliever. And he's not talking about how to, how to be married, how to drive your, your kids to soccer practice. He's talking about how that you as a husband and wife are illustrating Christ in the church. That's a whole new thing. And so whatever you're called to do, you've got to do it by the grace of God that's on you. And you've got to stop looking at yourself by the flesh. You've got to stop judging yourself by the flesh and saying, I'm disqualified because I don't have this experience or I, I don't have the, the, the street smarts or, or, the, or the, just, the, just the life that they have. I, don't have. I don't have the opportunity that they have. He says, Timothy, you've got to use your gift. Do you remember that it was also Timothy who got stuck in some of the worst places? Timothy and Titus. Paul would put them in the churches that were having trouble. Churches that weren't doing so well. I think they both, I may be wrong about this, but I believe they both at some point were stuck in Crete, which Paul says straight out. He goes, you've heard it said that Cretans are liars, gluttons, lazy, evil beasts. (laughs) And you always expect him to say, and that's really hard. You need to tell them that they're not that. And he goes, this is true. They are. <laughs> so here's the answer. Reprove them soundly. <laughs> how would you like him to, I mean, a letter back. I mean, this, and Paul started the church in Crete. But how would you like him to write back and go, listen, you know, you've heard it said that people in Lloydminster are just generally nasty people. And, and they, they just, 
They, they don't ever want to do it. They're, they're completely lazy. They lie every time you talk to them. And, you know, they're greedy. And he, and he goes, this is what people are saying about people in Lloydminster. And you'd go, of course not. I'm standing up for them. And he goes, it's true, though. They are. But that's not the people in the church. That's just the, the community he's called to. And he goes, that's where you got to start from. You know that that's the way they are. Now reprove them soundly. Now, now as a, just like taking a foster child in that hasn't had a good parent, show them the love of God and the discipline of God, which is not, a, not abuse. It's not punishment. It is love. And they're not going to be lazy liars, gluttons, evil beasts. Now they're going to be disciples taught of the Lord. And great will be their peace and undisturbed composure. So this is what Paul says to Timothy. He says, kindle afresh that gift. Maybe, maybe Timothy is, is saying, you know, I, I can't do that. Paul in another place had to remind him not to let people look down on him for his youth. But he says, God has not given you the spirit of timidity. So if you have timidity holding you back from doing the work of the Lord, it's not God. Well, how does timidity show up? You know, wouldn't timidity be when you let people intimidate you? When you're intimidated by circumstance or people, that's timidity. But God didn't give you that spirit. He gave you a spirit of power. Praise God. He gave you a spirit of love and discipline. Or, or uh, you know, one way to put it is a sober mind. A mind that doesn't just get carried away with everything that happens. A mind that is set on the things that God has set it on. And he's given you that spirit of power and of love and of a sober mind. Praise God. That's awesome. Because that spirit of love is going to drive you, is going to tell you, you need to do this, Timothy, because the world needs you. The spirit of power says, here's how you're going to do it. And the spirit of a sober mind, that set mind, is going to keep you on track when everything tries to drag you off. This isn't even what we're talking about. We're just trying to lead up to the point we're talking about. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Do you realize by associating with Paul, you're putting a target on your head? And there's some Christians that that just weren't bold enough to do that. In Hebrews, we read about a group of Christians who've got their property stripped away. They've... They've been kicked out of their homes, their families, their, their communities. And he says, identify with those who've been thrown in prison. That's sometimes tough to do because they've been accused of something they didn't do. They're being treated like they're true criminals. And he says, don't hide your face from them. Identify them. And Jesus said, visit them. That's a big thought. I had a dream uh, a while ago. It was couple months ago and I dream of somebody I knew and they were being accused of something that I knew they didn't do but everybody thought they did and I remember in that dream just and you know I, I'm not telling you this dream is from God or for, from me I don't know but all I know is it left me with an impression when I got up that in this dream I remember having to force myself to be seen with that person because of the things they'd been accused of But I knew they were my brother in Christ. And I knew that God had told me to stand with them, even though they'd been accused of these things, even though I could be accused of the same things if I was seen with them. But God said, identify with them. 
Paul has been thrown into prison. And for Timothy to say, yeah, that's, that's my father in the faith. That's, that's, that's the apostle that set me up. This is the guy I get all my teaching from. You know, for him to say those kinds of things, or at least he's my friend, is to put yourself in danger. For him to get up and preach the gospel in public when everybody's going into prison for it is a bit of a, a hard thing. But he says, God is not giving you the spirit of timidity, Timothy. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That's the first thing you can't be ashamed of is the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed to tell people about and identify yourself with Jesus first. Then he says, don't be ashamed of me. Because Paul's not even being just uh, persecuted in the world. He's being persecuted in the church. He says later, there are several who've risen up in the church against him. And Timothy's having to be bold and courageous and stand up when no one else is standing up for this guy. Stand up for the gospel and stand up for the minister of God. And he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. It's a big verse. It takes some thinking, doesn't it? It takes some thought for a minute. This was a time when there was great opposition to the gospel. If you were going to preach it, you were going to have to take the blows with it. But Paul says, join with me in suffering for the gospel. In other words, in, in pushing through and not, not stopping when things get tough. Not stopping when things get difficult, but, but pressing through. Suffering in the scripture does not just mean simply laying back and letting somebody hit you. Suffering means, it, later he says, suffer hardship as a good soldier. How does a soldier suffer hardship? Does he just, you know, does that mean he just is just tormented? A good soldier just sits there and lets people slap him? No, that means no matter what comes against him, no matter how many times they hit him, he keeps pressing on. Now, what I love about this is the second half of the verse. You're not just suffering. It says, join me in suffering according to the power of God. Oh, praise God. There is power available to you, Timothy. You don't have to just sit back like, a, like a, a doormat and be trampled on. Suffer according to the power of God, which means that the gospel will not be weakened. It won't be softened. It won't be broken no matter how hard they try. Praise God. And your spirit won't be broken. Praise, I mean, that is the coolest thing. When he says suffering according to the power of God, do you realize that everything they would do to these men was an attempt to break their spirit. An attempt to say, give up. Give up, there's no hope. But these men have the power of God. No matter how many times you knock them down, no matter how many times you threaten them, they have the power of God. They're not going to give up. It must have been terribly frustrating for the, for the enemy. It must have been terribly frustrating for the powers that be that these men couldn't be crushed. These women couldn't be crushed. They were suffering according to the power of God. God gave them the strength to bear up under these circumstances, not to get beaten down, not to get discouraged, but to bear up and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Boy. That's where the word martyr came from. Stephen was the first martyr. That word in Greek means witness. It doesn't mean victim. We use it like victim right now, don't we? Oh, they're such a martyr. But martyr meant witness. Because the way Stephen faced his death was an example for the rest of them after it. And you know, Stephen didn't feel those stones as they hit him. Because it says that he looked up. 
And he saw Jesus. And he said, receive my spirit. And whatever they did after that was their business. But he was willing to stand there and take it. But knowing that he didn't, wasn't taking it alone. He was not alone in front of those rocks. So these men were witnesses. He says, in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Will you say, we're not being persecuted in Canada. What does this mean? There's always opposition to the gospel, guys. There will always be people who, who, who will oppose everything you say. You bring up Jesus, you're, you're, I mean, if they're not going to hit you, they're sure going to, to treat you a certain way. But don't be ashamed of that gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It is good news. Even if they don't think it's good news, it's good. It's good news. And so according to the power of God means that you don't back down. You just keep going. You just press on. You don't get discouraged. You don't get broken. You stay. Stay with the testimony. Stay identifying with the ministers. Here's what it says. Who suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us. This is what God has done. And he's called us with a holy calling. Isn't that awesome? He called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, thank God. Not according to anything you did, Timothy. Not according to anything you earned. But according, in other words, by. Like he did it not because of what we did, but he did it because of his own purpose and grace which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. I love this. He saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to what you did, but according to what he did, according to his purpose and his grace, which was granted to us in Christ for all eternity. Or sorry, from all eternity, which is even cooler. That means from the beginning of time, he granted it to you. From the beginning of time, he saw you. And to the end of time, he sees you. And so the coolest thing here. Is that, is that even when things seem shaky, when Paul and Tim, when Timothy might look around and go, the guy I, I learned everything from is about to go to his death. The church is suffering all over the place. And Paul says, stop worrying about that stuff. Start standing up and being who God told you to be. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter, oh, where'd everybody go this Sunday? Or, you know, where are all my friends that used to be serving the Lord? And you're looking around and you're worried about what's going on. He says, stand according to the power of God. God's not giving you a spirit of timidity. Don't shrink back like everybody shrinks back. You press on. You use your faith. And it says here, he saved us. He called us with a holy calling. And it wasn't according to our works. So why would it be according to our works now? He says it's according to his own purpose and grace. See, there is rest in this because you know that you are stepping into something that God has been planning for all eternity. How can you give up now? How can I give up when I know that if I, if I receive the call of God? Now remember, Paul's not saying, Timothy, no matter what you do, this is going to happen. Right? What was the first thing he had to tell him to do? Kindle afresh that gift. That means you've got a part to play in this. Don't just say, well, if it's God's purpose for me to do it, I suppose he'll make me do it. Wouldn't it be nice if it worked that way? If God wanted me to do it, I suppose I would wake up and just be there. No, he says, I mean, it takes encouraging. He had to, Timothy, make up your mind to kindle it afresh. Timothy, make up your mind to join me in suffering for the gospel. 
according to the power of God. Timothy, make up your mind not to be ashamed of the gospel. Timothy, make up your mind not to be ashamed of me. You see, there, you, you have a part to play in this, but it's the power of God. Your part is the decision. Your part is the believing. God's part is the actual power to do it. And he says, when you do it, you're stepping into a purpose that goes way beyond you. You're stepping into grace that goes way further than you do. You're stepping into a plan he's been creating and molding for all eternity. And you're in it. And he says, but now this plan, this purpose, and this grace has been revealed to us by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Do you like this verse as much as I like it? We'll see. Yeah, you do. He abolished death. And, and you might say, that doesn't make any sense. My grandmother died. She was a, a believer. That's not the kind of death we're talking about. That's not really death. My father didn't have to go through death. He went to life. Death has been abolished. Death has been abolished. All who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. If you believe in me, you'll never taste death. You'll never taste death. He also said, I am the resurrection and the life in John 11. He says, he who believes in me will never die. He who believes in me will never die. And though, though, he, though he may appear to be dead, he's going to live. He's going to live. He says this, that he brought, he abolished death, and listen to this, he didn't just abolish death, he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Life and immortality to light. I like that. He brought life and immortality. Have you ever thought about being immortal? That's like stuff of fantasy, right? Stuff of comic books. Be immortal. What are you talking about? But to be a believer is to have immortality because even though you die in the flesh, even though your body gets put under the ground, you're, you were never a body. You never were a body. You were always a spirit. You always were a spirit. This is just a, the bag of meat and water that we use to get around. But it's not you. That helps when you look in the mirror and go, this is not me, thank God. <laughs> you are the spirit. You are a spirit. That's who you are. And if this body's laid down, it's like an old pair of clothes you're not using anymore. You live. You truly live. He says he brought life and immortality to light through. Through what? How do we see life and immortality? How do we know it? How do we experience it? Through the gospel. The gospel was the message that showed us that we could live again. The gospel was the message to show us we would never have to die. The gospel which shows us that even when Paul says, this is my last letter, I'm about to leave. It's not a sad letter because I'm immortal. I have life. They can chop my head off. And that's what they did. I sometimes think about what it must have been like to be Timothy. I think of a, you know, 
couple of the men in my life that have been father figures. Number one, my father, and then others that, that have spoken, spoken wisdom in my life. And I imagine what I would feel if they got taken outside the city wall, knelt down, and had their head chopped off. What would you feel like? Would you feel angry? Would you feel sad? I'm sure you'd feel all those things. But this letter says, listen, he abolished death. There's no such thing as death to us. There is no such thing as death. You don't see them say, some of the believers have died. You see in the New Testament them say, some of the believers have fallen asleep. I'm tired of the concept of death as the world knows it, being intertwined with the concept of life as we know it. Because for us, when, our, when we lay our body down, it is the beginning. It is a beautiful beginning. If you've run your race, you've run your race. Now, I believe some die before their time, absolutely. I believe that somebody, some people, you know, uh, have been attacked. Some people had to face something that they shouldn't have had to face. And, and that's part of living in a world that's under the curse. Now, I believe that God raises the dead to life. I believe that God heals those who the doctors say are going to die. But I believe that some of them will go to sleep. But when they go to sleep, it's not forever. It's instantly in the presence of God. Death has been abolished. And life and immortality have been brought to light. If it's brought to light, that means you see it. You know it. You experience it. And the gospel brought it to light. So when you're filled and, and put your hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that he reconciled us back to God, knowing that he put death to death, we know that as he was resurrected, so we are resurrected. We have eternal life. For which I was appointed a preacher. This gospel, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, because of this gospel, because of this Life, because of this mission, because of this purpose, because of this grace, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I, I, I may suffer those things, but I'm not ashamed. I'm not a loser. I'm not somebody who's, who's lost the battle. I'm somebody who's winning the battle. He says, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. He does not say, I know what I believe. It matters what you believe. But way bigger than that is who you believe in. I know whom. He, and you know, he doesn't even just say, I know in whom. He says, I know whom. Who's whom? That's Jesus. And I know him. And because I know him, I'm not ashamed. I know him. I know his nature. I know his character. I know who he is. Because I know who he is, I can face anything. You know, the Apostle Paul was ministering to Jews, yes, but also to, to Gentiles who would have had this strange concept of gods that, that, that might let you down one day or might cheat on you or might even, you know, commit adultery. They had no trust for the divine. 
the, you know, gods were just, you know, kind of like the bully on the playground. If they feel like helping you, they will. But they're going to do whatever makes them feel better. And they're just using you for their own little battles between each other. But then Paul talks about this Jesus who is unchanging, who is ever faithful, who has, keeps covenants, how God keeps covenants to a thousand generations. He begins to talk to them about a living God who is always good, always loved, never goes back on his word, that this Jesus can be trusted. You better know Jesus can be trusted if you're putting your life on the line. Paul says later in this very book, he says, at my last trial, everyone deserted me. This guy's a hero to us. I want you to to put put yourself in in the shoes of Paul at this point, or at least of Timothy, and think about a guy who we think is like greatest apostle ever. Right. If the Apostle Paul could preach at our church next Wednesday night, I would not be offended if you said, get off the stage, let him preach. (laughs) Right. But you got to understand when the heat starts and the things start flying. A lot of people run. And Paul said, my last trial, everyone deserted me. No one stood with me. Nobody stood with me. Think about this great guy. We all go, oh, I would have stood with you. You don't understand what kind of pressure these guys have been put under. Standing with him usually means you're next. They all deserted him. He says, even this guy, even this guy, they deserted me. But then he uses this great phrase, which changes everything. He's not whining. He's not crying. He said, everyone deserted me. Not, why well, I use what the King James uses, because I like that word. He goes, notwithstanding. In other words, lay all that aside for a moment. Because that doesn't matter. Notwithstanding, Jesus stood with me. The Lord stood with me. Now, can you imagine what it would have been like to be on trial and see all your friends run away and see everybody that you ever depended on to be a character witness not show up? These people that you raised up like your own kids run away. And then all of a sudden you feel a hand on your shoulder. You feel a strength that you've never felt before. And you know that the Lord is standing right next to you. Suddenly, everyone in the empire, up to even, even the emperor himself, seems pretty little compared to the Lord standing next to you. What did the Lord do? He says, and he strengthened me. And he rescued me out of the mouth of the lion. Now, that's what I want. I'm going to be able to stand in those situations and know the Lord stands with me, even if everybody deserts me. God, Jesus himself is standing next to me. And he says, I know whom I have believed. I know him. I know his nature. I know who he is. That's why I'm able to to go through this stuff. That's why I'm able to not be ashamed, because I know him. And when you know who he is, you're able to go through anything. You're able to go anywhere and say anything. Because I know whom I have believed and I know I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. I know him. I know I know the one I have believed in and I know he's able to guard whatever I've entrusted to him. He will guard until the day he returns. That's huge, guys. 
It's so big because it not only says that you, you got to know him. When you know him, you'll do anything because you trust him. To know him, he's the guy, he's the friend that will never forsake you. He's the one that will always stand next to you. He's the one that is always faithful. But also to know this, that when whatever you entrust to him, he guards. That's your decision, what you choose to entrust to him. My recommendation is to entrust everything. If you entrust everything to him, he guards it. He keeps it. The Apostle Paul says, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted. What has he entrusted? My life. He's got my life. He has me. (laughs) He has me. And in, in other places, he says, what choice do I have but to preach the gospel? I'm his. I have no choice. I'm his. And in this time, it's not a, it's not a, oh, I'm his. It's a, I'm his. And I am able to not be ashamed. I'm able to go through whatever they throw at me because I know whom I have believed. I know him. And he's going to guard me. He's going to guard what I've entrusted to him. I gave him my life. I gave him my purpose. I gave him my dreams. I gave him everything and he guarded it and he keeps it. And it doesn't matter what they do to me. They can't touch what matters because he's guarding that. I'm confident. I'm convinced that he is able to guard it. It's so important that you know whom you've believed in. You don't know about him. You don't know simply the theory of God, but you know the nature of God. And the only way you know the nature of God is to get to be with God. You can't know the nature of God by theory. You can't know the nature of God by a university course. You can't know the nature of God by a degree. You can't know the nature of God by listening to enough tapes. You must know the nature of God by being near God. And the only way to be near God is to draw near to Him through the blood of Jesus. As we follow His Word, you get near. As you submit to His love and respond, you draw near. As you put Him in His proper place, show Him the worth He deserves, you draw near. And when you're near, you know Him. Like you're, like a husband knows a wife, you know them. Whether or not, whether or not you can answer what your wife, wife's blood type is, is not really the indicator that you know them. Whether or not you can tell them favorite, you know, well, I mean, I, I know their blood type, or whether or, no, whether or not you know what condition their lungs are in is not a measure of how much you know them. But you know what's going to make them happy. You know if they can be trusted. You know that if you say this to them, they'd never say it to anybody else. That is time. That's relationship. And God has called us to that relationship. Guess what? Here's the greatest thing. He's never said, I don't want to spend time with you. Isn't it the funniest thing that we're being pursued by God? Does that make any sense to you? This is like some pizza-faced, braces on his teeth, crazy, crazy cross eyes or something. You know, 
I'm just trying to make it not realistic. I, I don't want anybody to think, that's me. Um, <laughs> just some, some kid, just, just, you know, smelly and, and terrible personality. It's like a supermodel tr- constantly trying to get, you know, get to know this guy. You know, just trying to be around him. And he's going, I think I'll find time later. I don't know, maybe I'll have time at some point. That's a bad example because I don't believe that supermodels are really what we should always be aspiring to. But perhaps let's think about think about the person that you'd most likely, if you could pick anybody alive or dead outside of Jesus, and you could pick anybody alive or dead and have supper with them, who would you pick? Don't say it out loud. Just think about it. Now, what if they called you tomorrow and said, let's have supper? And you're like, eh, maybe. Maybe, I don't know. I got a lot of things going on. Seriously, like, I'll have supper with you. Well, what about the next day? Well, I got things, a lot of things going on then. What about the day after that? Mm, I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. You know, and they're pursuing you. Does that make any sense? Does it make any sense that the God of all creation, that, that he's the one chasing us? How good is God? <laughs> he's the one after you. So respond to that. Turn around and run to him. When you know him, you know his nature. You're not afraid anymore. You're not scared. You're not intimidated. He says, I am convinced he's able to guard. He's able to entrust this to me. He's entrust what I've guard, what I've entrusted to him. He says, retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me in the faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. So listen to this. He says, I've entrusted something to him. And now he says, you guard what he's entrusted to you. There's the exchange. He will guard what you've entrusted to him. No matter what you do, no matter who you are, he'll guard what you entrust to him. Now, guard what he's entrusted to you. You are aware of the fact that all who were in Asia turned away from me among whom were Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Anisiphorus, for he refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. All of these scriptures deserve more time, but we're going to get somewhere and you'll go back and study these on your own. Maybe we'll preach about them another time. But he says the He does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ. Listen to that. This is what you're meant to do. When things are rough, when things are seemingly insurmountable, what you are meant to do is remember Jesus Christ. That offering, we talked about Paul's last message to the church in Ephesus. What did he say? Remember what Jesus said. Well, that'll get you through everything. Remember Jesus. Remember what he said. Follow his example and know that he's faithful. 
It says this, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God, listen to this, the word of God is not imprisoned. They can imprison me, but they can't imprison the word of God. So he's saying, you take it, you run with it. For this reason, for this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it, eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. Or in, in the original Greek, it is a faithful statement, faithful saying. This is the fourth time in his letters to Timothy that he said these words, this is a faithful saying. He's reminding him. And what follows is what many believe was an ancient hymn, a song that they sang in the early church. He says, If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Now, what does that mean? This is not talking about like Peter that one time saying, I don't know Jesus. This is talking about a denial of him as in somebody who will not receive him. As somebody who will not believe. As, As in someone who refuses to receive the gift of Jesus, to receive the gospel. Someone denies him, he says, he denies us. But he says, if we are faithless, listen to this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Isn't that awesome? I wanted to get to that point because it ties in what we were remembering earlier when he says, I know him. And I know that I know the one I've believed in, and I know he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him. Even if, because a couple of verses later, he says, now you guard what he's entrusted to you. But even if Timothy failed to guard that, even if Timothy uh, failed to live up to his full potential, he remains faithful. And what you've entrusted to him, he's able to guard. It is, a hu- it is human nature to try to cling, cling to everything so that we have control. We want control. We long for it. We want to know we have control of our destiny. We want to know that if, if, if something goes wrong, at least it was my fault. I want to know I had control over this. But the message of the gospel is give it up. Release that control to the one who created you, the one who truly loves you. And he'll guard what you entrust to Him. But He can't guard what you don't give Him. He can't guard what you refuse to give up. You go through life. You go through life saying, I'll handle this, I'll handle this, I'll handle this. But that's not safe. You may think it's safe. Sometimes seems safe. But imagine a guy like Paul who's probably the most dangerous guy. Right? To everybody else, he doesn't seem safe at all. This is the guy that was stoned to death, raised from the dead, walked right back into the city that stoned him. Is that smart? Danger is his middle name. Right? This is the guy who goes, they go, don't go to Rome. You go to Rome, that's it. It's done. He goes, I already know about that. I'm going. I mean, this guy's not afraid of anything. Why? I know him. And I know he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him. So how can I say no to him? 
How can I be afraid? How can I be ashamed? How can I shrink back? For God's not given me the spirit of timidity. He's given me a spirit of power. Now, you've got that spirit. You've got it inside you. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of power. He's given you a spirit of love, which is going to cause you to use that power. And he's given you a spirit of a sober, sound mind that is set on the right things. That even when things, when, when the world falls all around you, when, like David says in Psalm 91, a thousand fall at my side, ten thousand at my right hand. Does that sound like a nice day to you? Ten thousand people die right beside you? And he's able to still say, I trust in the Lord. Now, I don't want you to think that life is just going to be nothing but people throwing rocks at you. You know, love, life is good. It's good because he's good. And that's what we must know. And if, if, we, if you hear anything this morning, what I want you to hear is you've got to know his nature. Because until you're confident in his faithfulness, in his love, in his goodness, in his nature, you're going to be too afraid to take any steps in the rest of your life. You'll be too afraid to do anything for him because you're thinking that you never know what he's going to do. You never know what he's like. I'm going to tell you, he is entirely trustworthy. He can be trusted with everything. So just give him everything. Let him have free reign in your life. Let him have the reins. Let him control Whatever he controls. And when you give that up to him and you're obedient to his voice, you can say safe and you can know I am safe in his arms. And even Paul, even if they chop off his head, it's life. As he said in Philippians, I got a choice. If I live, I live as Christ. I live in his anointing. I live in his power. I live in his love. But if I die, I win. I gain. It's win-win, right? This is the gospel which showed us that Jesus Christ has abolished death. He has brought to life light, immortality and life. He's shown us how to receive that and showed us what it is. How can we be afraid? If God is for us, who can be against us? If the Lord is our refuge, whom shall we fear? Of whom can we be afraid of? We know him. If you know him, you're not afraid of anything. If you know him, you know he can be trusted. I want to tell you this because I know that there are shaky things that happen. There are things which are meant to shake your foundation. When my father went on to be with the Lord, I didn't give up on the gospel because I knew it was the gospel that saved us. My father went on to be the Lord. I didn't think, well, what's happened? What am I going to do? Because my faith was never in a man. It was always in Jesus. You can be in the same place, and I'm sure many of you are right now. Know him. Know his faithfulness. As long as we believe in a God that could one day decide to just smack you and one day decide to kiss you, you'll never go near him. But if you can know that your God is always faithful, he is always good. He is always love. Then you can draw near to him with boldness and stay near to him. Say, I know who I believed in. I know him. I know him, and he'd never, he'd never lie. He never let me down. He never fail me. He's able to guard, and he will guard whatever I've entrusted to him. 
wouldn't it be the smartest thing for you to do to just give him everything? Let him guard it. And then he'll give you whatever he's entrusted you. You guard those things because that is a treasure. That is a deposit. That is something the world can never give you. Guard it. For it's the most valuable thing you have. This is all about trust. This is all about faithfulness. Knowing the faithfulness of our God. Death has been abolished. Life and immortality have been brought to light. So why would I be afraid? Jesus said this, and they may seem not to go together. He said, they're going to put some of you to death. He said, they'll throw some of you in prison. He said, but they won't be able to harm a hair on your head. Wait a minute, what? You just said, put me to death. So what do you think? They'll keep my hair combed while they do it? What does that mean? Saying everything that really matters is in him. Even if they put this body down. And you go, this is such a weird message, Jonathan. Nobody's trying to kill us. That's right. But I'm showing you what Paul went through so you can say, if he was willing to go through that because he knew his God, man, I can go through anything. And Jesus said, it will harm your hair on your head. In other words, they can't touch what matters. If you're accused, if you're abused, if you're mistreated, they can't touch what matters. If you are lied about, if you are lied to, they can't touch what matters. If you are rejected, he was rejected. If you are forsaken, they forsook him. But know that he will never reject you. He will never forsake you. If there's anything you want, I want you to walk away with this morning is to know that your God is always faithful. He always will be faithful. And he will guard whatever you give to him to guard. The smartest thing is to give him everything. And they won't be able to harm you. Death is abolished. Immortality and life are here. We're all, if Jesus doesn't come back in the next hundred years, you're all going to fall down asleep some point. But that's the beginning of everything. That's the beginning of a, a whole new part of your life. This is a wonderful thing. It's not something to be afraid of. It's not something you should go too early. You finish your race. You finish your course. <laughs> you know, sometimes I've had some friends that weren't doing too well and they start reading these books about heaven I go maybe read that another time because <laughs> sometimes you, you get too drawn to heaven you just you know next time you get a cold you go take me Lord you know and uh, that's not a good thing finish your race finish your course and then when you stand before the Lord you'll get your crown but it's a beautiful thing to be in the hands of a living God you know that's my way of thinking of it because uh, you know in Hebrews it talks about those who who have forsaken and rejected uh, his sacrifice, his, his love, his, his forgiveness. And it says it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Because, I mean, man, if, if you didn't accept his free gift, if you would not receive Jesus, man, it's not a pretty thing. But as believers, it's a wonderful thing to fall in the hands of a living God because those hands are faithful. Those hands are strong. Those hands are love. Those hands have you and aren't going to let you go. Trust him and he'll guard you. Amen. Would you stand up?
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If there's anyone here this morning that you've heard this and you say, I've never trusted God with my life. I've never actually done that. I've never actually entrusted my life to Him. But you would like to entrust God with your life and you say, I need Him to guard me. If you say, I want that life that you speak of. I, 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 I'm afraid of death. Or I don't know what to expect when death comes. Then I'd ask you to come forward and we'll want to pray with you. Is there anybody here who's not received Jesus, who has not uh, received that gift, who's not given your life and entrusted Him with your life? Is there anybody here this morning? Just want to make sure. Okay. Then as believers, we have, we still have a lot to entrust Him. You've got everything. Give Him everything. Whatever you held back because it didn't feel safe, give it to Him now. Give Him your speech. That's a big one, isn't it? Give Him your speech. That's huge. And I'll tell you why it's huge. Is because our speech to us is one of the things we guard more than anything because we're afraid of how people will judge us by what we say. Give him your voice. Give him your words. In other words, whatever he tells you to say, say. Whatever you entrust to him, he's faithful to guard it. Whatever you entrust to him, he's more than faithful to guard. Lord, we thank you. You are great. You are wonderful. You are always good. You are always faithful. When we are faithless, you are faithful. If we die with you, we live with you. You'll never leave us or forsake us. That is our promise. We hold to it. Lord, I pray that your hand would be on these people, these sons and daughters of the living God, that they would know your voice and a stranger's voice they would not follow that they would know you on a level that they have not known you before, that they would know you as the shepherd and guardian of our souls. You are the one that guards whatever we entrust to you. So we entrust you with everything. We give you everything. We know that you're able to guard it. You're faithful. You are good. You are always faithful, always good, never failing, never lying, never cheating, never never giving up. We trust you. We trust you. I just believe right this morning that there are many of us that are going to have to step into a new level of trust. Step into a new level of trust with Jesus. You've got to know His love. You've got to know His faithfulness. You've got to know His nature. You've got to know His character. We're going to have to give up some of that independence. God called you to freedom, not independence. There's a difference. Independence means I'm going to do it myself. Freedom means I am no longer in chains. I'm no longer bound. So if you're independent, you are not depending on God. We're not independent. We are dependent on Him in everything. The world calls that weakness. The Scripture calls that strength. 
It is the strong who can give up their will, their dreams, their visions, and say, God, take it. Do whatever you want to do with it. In Jesus' name.